You're listening to the network's podcast where we talk all things marketing and digital. Hi, I'm Jodie Parker, and I'm part of the team who runs Network's events. Each episode is a live recording of a past panel discussion. I still think that the magic of Network's is being in the room. If you like what you hear, visit networksevents.com.au. Today's podcast is called Content Evolved. It's been six months since Facebook pulled the rug out from underneath brands and publishers. They put it back quickly, but make no mistake, it'll happen again, and no platform is immune. Join us here to learn whether good brands are focusing their content efforts, how or if they changed tack during the past six months, and what's in store for their future content strategies and tactics. So, welcome to Networks. We love holding Networks events because they're informative yet relaxed, not to mention held in funky or unique venues just like this one around Brisbane. With that, I'm going to introduce you to our panel facilitator tonight, Kurt Sanders. Kurt is the director of strategy at Brisbane at Brisbane's content agency, the content division. Uh, he's chalked up nearly two decades of experience as a journalist, marketing strategist, workshop facilitator, public speaker, and all-round good guy. <laughs> Kurt, plenty, plenty of time for this fella. He's, he's passionate about creativity being the great hope of modern marketing. Um, that's exciting. I can get behind that. And he's worked with big brands and small from suburban butchers through to great big city builders. Would you please put your hands together and welcome Kurt. Yes. Hello. Hi. How are you, everybody? I had two beers. Usually I have one beer tonight. Um, it is so good to be at Lefties. I used to work at an agency next door to the Velvet Cigar. Nef- definitely never came here, though. Um, we're going to get right into it. We've got some cracking panellists. Who here is content people? Who are the content people? You're my people. You're all our people. This is so exciting. It is the best one of the year, Jody. The content one because you're all so nice. Let's get into this amazing talent. Please welcome Ashton Tuckerman, Chief Marketing Officer at Gather. Um, a resume including Flight Centre, Foods, U and Co, Red Havas, and now Gather. Ashton has a passion for growing brands through creative storytelling. Ashton loves helping people find their why. Please welcome Ashton. Jared Price, Manager of Member Marketing at RACQ. Is that right? No, you're the Manager of Brand at RACQ. You got a promotion. (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) Please welcome Jared. Jared has over 17 years experience and has worked in brands like QT, Brisbane Lions and RACQ. Loves customer centricity and also teaches digital marketing for ADMA. If anyone's done their courses, get into it. Please welcome Jared. Please welcome Lily Woodhouse, content strategist at the almighty Deloitte Digital. (laughs) Lily leads the content strategy capability for Deloitte uh, Digital in Queensland, more than five years consulting for national and international clients and a heap of agencies that we're not allowed to talk about for some reason. That's fine. Uh, There are a few industries she hasn't touched. Please welcome Lily. There's some Deloitte Digital people in the house too, right? Yeah, there's a crew. As a crew. Uh, please welcome Jessica Dory. Jess Dory, content strategist at Simpro. Jess has a passion for all things content and believes carefully curated copy is key to driving strategic marketing actions and success. Please welcome Jess. 
What a cracking panel tonight, some cracking brands. Um, tonight we're going to look at case studies from brands that sort of fearlessly focus on effectiveness in content. Um, different approaches across all different size businesses, uh, what changes you need to make and how to do it, and uh, what data and privacy considerations you need to be across for your business because that has changed a lot recently. Okie dokie. Um, guys... Welcome, welcome to Lefties. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. This is the first four-person panel, so this is going to go quickly. <laughs> awesome. All right, um, Ashton, we're going to start with you. So you guys know in January this year, that was about five years ago, um, that Facebook changed the rules for about two weeks or a week or something. I can't remember. It felt like ten years. Um, blocked a whole heap of publishers, but took a lot of brands with them. Um, Ashton, when things blew up in January... You were working at Red Havas. I was. You I were. was in agency land. Yeah, so what 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 happened? What were you being asked by businesses? At a lot the of time? panic, a lot of a lot of people thinking the world was on fire, which kind of was in a way. Um, look, yes, so I was at I was at Red at the time, uh, PR and social agency for those who don't know. Yes, we had a lot of concerned clients. We had clients saying, what does this mean for us? What do we need to do? Do we need to pivot? Do we need to change? The lucky thing was that because we were dealing with PR primarily, we didn't need to change anything because our goal was to get coverage in news publications on those news sites and we did not rate our success by those news sites then sharing those stories on social media. For us, it was about getting the coverage on those publishers' sites themselves. So in that regard, no, we were very lucky. We did not need to change anything. Um, but we also had some clients who were interestingly affected, like those in the arts. That was that was really hard, where it meant that because they had shared press coverage of their own success and their own brand, that they were being penalised. And very quickly, they all rallied together and... Luckily, uh, Facebook decided to overturn their their minute made decision before uh, all of the arts industries and and many other brands stormed the streets. So it was a very interesting situation. Yeah, but a, but an incredible lesson too, right? Like so. From your guys' perspective, like uh, probably specifically RSQ actually, because you guys have publications, right? So, did what lessons did that kind of teach you guys? I suppose, but but you know, just anyone who was reading your stuff as well. Yeah, so we got taken down, which you know, I guess that's flattering that they saw us as an authoritative news source to take us down. Um, but yeah, also a great way to freak out a whole heap of managers at RACQ and I've never seen the scramble and we're all virtual then so it was like a mad scramble on Teams and chats and emails. How do we fix this? Um, I think the thing it highlighted for me is that Facebook's not an owned channel like many think it is. Sure, it's you know you can start for free um, but it's very much a pay-to-play platform um, but even at its core, it's still an earned platform and um, that highlighted it. So if Zuck wakes up tomorrow and says, I've had enough and turns it off, we'll all be in the same boat again. So I think for us, we've put a lot of effort into trying to grow our own channels and direct people to those channels and know that that's where they go to get the information and tap into channels like Facebook to try and train that behaviour so that, hey, if Facebook's not there or not working, I know I can go to RACQ.com and get the content that I'm after. And um, actually, I am fascinated from your guys' position as well on that question. We're probably stretching it a bit far for the amount of people on the stage, but that's all right. Um, uh, what about Deloitte there? Uh, Lily? 
So Deloitte, we are not necessarily content marketers in the traditional sense like you would probably a lot of people in the crowd are today. Um, we focus a lot more on setting up strategies and looking more holistically at your content programs um, like a chain of content. So instead of just one channel being your primary focus and what you focus on putting all of your energy into, we look at, so when a client comes to us and says, hey, we've got um, a problem with our email marketing or we've got a problem with our website, et cetera, et cetera, we take a step back and look at all of those touch points as individual links in a chain, if you will. And um, we then say, okay, if there are breakages in your chain, if there's like inconsistencies in your messaging, what typically happens is that there's um, sort of ineffective customer journeys. So we, we work on setting strategic intents, which I'll probably talk about a little bit tonight, in order to get your content in such a way that is going to be consistent across whatever touch point your customer goes to. And regardless of what happens with technology, you're going to make sure that you have a consistent experience. Um, and I probably covered off what I was going to talk about later, but that probably yeah, amazing. That's why I did it. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. smooth. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? What, what did Sim did Simpro cop anything? Because you guys used to have a publishing platform, right? Yeah. So we were really lucky when it came to all of this situation because we weren't actually affected. Um, interestingly, we have a team in the US, and they were just so scared. They were worried. They were emailing. Because Australia was first, us. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, "What's going on, guys?" Are we going to be okay? How can we set it up so that we're not affected? And I was like, just hold on. We should be right. Like, I don't think there's anything too much to worry about here. And we were lucky we got away with it. We weren't affected. But I think it highlights the importance of not just pushing content through social. I think we can all get really caught up in pushing through social. But your website... Your email marketing, your in-product announcements, they're the things that are going to draw people in as well. Interestingly, our social is probably one of the least um, popular ways for, to draw people into our website and to draw people into our content. So that's just something to think about when you're focusing really heavy, heavily on social. Sometimes it's not the best option. So get, gather the data and that'll tell you. Yeah, I love to hear it actually because it's it's so true. It's so true that like no matter where you are, it's just a technology thing that's taking your time and effort regardless of what the actual strategy is. Um, okay, so the message is build your thing, build it on your own property. Jared, RACQ gets to do that because you've got 80% brand awareness in the market. So <laughs> how, how do you build that kind of brand authority apart from being around for a thousand years? <laughs> that helps. <laughs> That helps, been around a long time. Um, so I think, you know, this is a really interesting space talking about brand authority. And if we think about content, a lot of brands still treat content as stuff that I want to say. Um, but really content marketing is being able to meet what the audiences are looking for. So what content are they looking for? How can you solve problems that they have? And I think that's where brand authority comes from. And you know, when we sort of look to map brand authority, for me, it's looking at your experience in a topic um, versus your reputation or your credibility in the market. So for us, if we think about this, we're really um, top far right for uh, motoring, being around a long time, super experienced, um, have a really strong reputation. But when we introduce a new topic like pets, um, aligned to our pet insurance product, we start down the bottom left. So 
we've got to work out, well, how can we start to build that authority? And so what we did was well, we tapped into our strength and leveraged it to help bring in the new topic. So we talked about pets in cars, road trips to do with your pets, how to secure your pet in a car safely. So we tapped into that strength that we had authority in to slowly introduce that new product and um, start to slowly build our authority in it. Um, and you know, it's, it's working really well for us and you know, people are starting to get used to that and coming to find that information from us. Yeah, right. So speaking of, I guess, being an authoritative content like thought leader, <laughs> not that you're the thought leader in pets, and thought leader is potentially a horrendous word as well, but we'll use it anyway. Um, thought leadership is like one of those things that's a methodology that B2B brands love it in particular. Um, Jess, Simpro is really good at this. How do you guys go about it? We use a variety of different tactics. So we're really lucky in our company Everyone from people who've just worked in the company for years to the executives that have worked in trades and have now grown a career in software working in Simpro have such great knowledge of not just soft the software itself, but also the trades industry. So when we're talking about thought leadership, we contact the executives, we contact the support team, we contact the BDMs, people that are talking to our customers and prospects daily and we get their pain points and we speak to them. And then we build on their expertise and um, ghostwrite content for them as well, just secretly. <laughs> but um, I think we're able to gather when we're, when we're talking to them, we are able to gather really vital information that our audience wants to read. And I think that's the key to content, right? As you were saying, Jared, we, you want to put out content that people are going to read and get to the bottom of and stick on your website. It's not just about what you want to say, it's about what they want to read. And, and what, like, I guess a follow-on question to that is, like, how did you, like, at Simpro, who, Simpro is an amazing technology tool and they've been around for a long time, but you probably don't know about them because you're not in that industry, right? But you are in the top right quadrant for, like, experience and trust in trades, right? Where... Funnily enough, before I started working for Simpro, I didn't know that Simpro existed. But we're actually really well known in the trade industry in Australia and in New Zealand and in the UK as well. And we're growing our brand and becoming one of the bigger brands in the US. Um, so it's a really interesting time to be at the company because we have so many different audiences that we need to speak to. We're not just speaking to our customers or the prospects that know our brand. We're speaking to the prospects in the US who have no idea who Simpro is and who have always known those bigger US-based um, software industries. So here we are, uh, an Australian company who are massive in our own right and a really successful Brisbane-based company. And we're trying to prove ourselves in the US market and... It's just such an interesting time to be at the company because we get to write for so many different audiences and understanding how to write for those specific sectors is really key to our success. Lily, can I just quickly ask you, with, with not taking too much time, but like from like a technology company that just knows its audiences and knows what they've got to do in that, to Deloitte where you're dealing with horrendous hierarchies of bureaucracy. Like, how do you even begin to split those audiences? Oh. Trick question. 
Yeah, okay. So it is so different for every client we deal with. Um, Deloitte is a beast and working in consulting, we work in some really hairy challenges. Um, and every time you start a new project, it's like you're starting a new job and you have to learn a whole new entire thing. That could happen every four weeks and you're just like trying to get up to speed as quick as you can all the time. Um, so understanding your customers, we have pivoted um, from talking about personas to talking about mindsets, if that's a thing that everybody's doing now, I'm not sure. But um, we uh, work with our clients instead of using their existing personas that they might have had for 15 years and we work with them and say, scrap that, let's think about the, the mindsets of the people who you're trying to convert and let's do workshops. Um, data plays a big part in it, so helping um, whatever data is available, we'll try to get our hands on to help understand our customers more. We also do a lot of research, so we do a lot of quantitative and qualitative research where we'll do, um, to your point of writing for a new audience, um, depending on how big the client is, they might um, enlist us to do some comprehension testing. So what that looks like is us developing a bit of content, trying to understand this segment as much as possible and then put it in front of that segment and say, do you understand this? <laughs> For lack of a better term. So there's lots of different ways you can go about doing it but sometimes spending too much in the data can lead you down too many rabbit holes. You just need to bring it up and be like, what do you reckon they want? <laughs> so that psychographic segmentation comes in massively. Yeah. It, it's so great to hear like content maturing to that level because probably five years ago we're like people were like, what do you think they want? Rather than testing it and using it. Um, from government bureaucracies and multi, multi, multi levels of content pillars and audiences to food porn. Hashtag to use old mate's thing. Hashtag. Um, <laughs> Ashton works for Gather. So do you want to quickly just explain what Gather is and then just say I, one of the things I'm fascinated about by Gather is it would be so easy just to fall into that food, tra food porn trap but you have to go beyond it. What a delicious trap to fall into. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 80% brand awareness. Well, what's that like? You know, yeah, so Gather is uh, still very new. So if you haven't heard of the brand, well, you have now. So that's uh, part, of, part of my job done in Brisbane at least. Uh, Gather is an online booking platform for private chefs, caterers and grazing stylists. That's the simplest way to, to sort of go about it. Um, in essence, we're actually a food tech startup and it's a two-sided marketplace. So there's a lot kind of beneath the surface, uh, beneath the surface rather than just the food porn. But we all love the food porn. So that is a challenge. You know, it's, it's very easy to sort of say, this is delicious, this looks delicious, people will like it, people will engage with it. The trick is, how do you move your content away from something that people like to look at to something that people want to take an action from. So I think that's what's really important. And one of the first things I did when I joined Gather was uh, very quickly sort of drop our content pillars because I knew to sell a service. So we're a service-based business, um, a lot trickier than product marketing. I have I have learned, you know, it's you can't send a can't send a videographer along to um, people's private dinner parties and sort of capture the magic. It's a lot harder to create content. So, for me, my purpose is to create a brand that people want to engage with, want to hear from, and want to partner with, and then encouraging those people to share that experience. So that comes into into play here, where you can see our pillars of eat, which is your your classic food porn uh, experience. So it, it's more than just the food on the plate. So what we're really selling is that 
restaurant chef experience in your home or at your Airbnb or at your office. So it's really the experience that's the that's the important part because you can get delicious food everywhere. Like let's let's be real, but it's you know imagine imagine having that in your home and the accessibility that. You know, it's not just for it's not just for you if your last name is Kardashian or Jenner. It's it's for everyone, and and, and it's an, an actually accessible product. And then obviously the entourage. So it's a great deal of trust to invite somebody into your home and into your kitchen to cook for you, to cook for your family, your friends, your parents. Um, in some of life's greatest moments, you know, we do a lot of proposals, which is really nice. A lot of proposals, a lot of anniversaries. A lot of birthdays and so many big events that got missed last year. People are making a big deal out of out of events that they might have just let go by the wayside this year. So it's really nice to see people gathering when they're safe to do so. Yeah. I, I really like the way your pillars are broken up as well. Like it's it's you understand the challenge of not being able to duck into their kitchen and grab them and therefore it's like, okay, well, how do we break up what that experience actually is? So, yeah, really well. I, I think it's awesomely constructed. So tonight's lesson so far, build on your own property. Don't rely too much on social. Um, segment by intent and psychographics, not necessarily just by demos and necessarily thinking what people want. Um, we've got build brand trust in something that you know you can, um, which then brings me to uh, Lily talking about how on earth all this fits together into a big organisation. Um, how, how should we approach sort of planning, auditing um, and refining our content programs when, when we've got those ducks in a row? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we go about refining and auditing content for big organisations. We do a lot of work with government. If anyone is in government here from here tonight, I, <laughs> I'm there with you. Um, I think we see a lot of clients coming to us with big hairy content problems and they just kind of go, ah, I don't know what to do with all of this stuff. And typically it's a, it's a symptom of a unintegrated content strategy and also a symptom of what we call content debt. So content debt, like any kind of debt, accumulates over a long period of time. Content debt looks like the FAQs you haven't updated since 2013. It looks like the website that you don't even want to look at, you don't want to think about. It's the blogs that you know exist, but if you don't look at them, then they're not there. Um, and I think there's a few um, head nods, so I think people are on the same page. Um, Clients come to us typically because they've got content that isn't hitting for whatever reason and instead of refining or getting rid of that content, they just create more content to put over that and direct people to those journeys instead. But the problem is that that still exists in your ecosystem and people can still find it. Um, so what we do typically is we're brought into these hairy content challenge to figure out what the bloody hell to do about it. Um, we use a phrase called to marry condo your content, which if you're familiar with the KonMari method from a few years ago, which was very popular, it's about only keeping things that spark joy. So we uh, have the same um, uh, sort of phrasing for when it comes to content and in that if it is not sparking joy for your business or for your customers, it's time to let it go. Say thank you and say goodbye. Um, <laughs> so uh, how do you go about Mericondoing your content? So the biggest thing that we do at Deloitte is help our organisations that we work with set a strategic intent. So a strategic intent is really similar to a content vision, but we've just put a consulting twang on it to make it sound a bit more 
more fancy. Um, but the whole purpose of it is to align your content vision to your business vision. And then instead of just making content about the marketing and comms team, we make it a problem of your whole organisation because... Marketing comms aren't the only people having touch points with your customers. It might be your customer service centre. It might be uh, your operations people sending emails. It might be lots of people sending and communicating with customers. So we get the whole team on board, basically, on a strategic intent. Then we use that strategic intent to test our content. So we say, okay, we've wanted to get rid of this portion of our website for 10 years, now you've got an, an, an asset, now you've got an ammo to test it and say, is this aligned to our strategic intent or is this sparking joy? No? All right, time to let it go. Um, so that's typically the process that we go through and in our slides for consulting, it'll probably sound a lot more sophisticated than that, but um, we go through that process and then we encourage our clients to say, cool, now with... Um, now that you're not managing all these sites that you've wanted to get rid of for years and now you have more freedom because you're not looking after this legacy content, what can we test and iterate on? What's a new idea that aligns to our strategic intent and will make our um, experiences more consistent? Yeah, and the most interesting thing I think about what you're saying is, you know, whether you're in enterprise land or even SME land, there is content debt. There is tons of it. Mm -hmm. yep. Small businesses as well, they... They stack it up. Yeah, it's the Band-Aid yeah. concept of it's not working. I'll slap something else on top and then it ends up just growing and growing and you go, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Speaking of slapping things on top and growing and growing and growing and growing, RACQ has been around a long time. We've said that already tonight. <laughs> um, how the hell do you manage that much legacy, um, that many content pillars, that much stuff? How do you go about that, Jared? Yeah, it's hard work and um, I think... I'm going to share an example. It's actually from a previous role at the Brisbane Lions around building out um, a content calendar, building out the plan. So I think once you've done all the things that Lily just said and got that all in place, you can then start to move into the tactics and trying to build out the plan. So, you know, this is a real quick demo of how we used to do it at the Lions where we'd first we'd just look at the year. And you can actually start to break it up into chunks. So, you know, we w know when our season is going to fall. We know when finals is. We know that straight after finals comes, like, the award season and trade period. Um, and then we'll have new players that are coming into the club through draft. And then the December to January, February, that's our preseason. So pretty quickly, we've chunked up our year and we know those key times. And businesses can do the same. They know, you know, seasonality, peak times... Um, key events across the year that will be influencing. Once we've mapped out the year, we then take one of those times and then we break it down. So we would do it by the week. And again, we would just break it up. So we know when our game is going to be. Typically, it's on a Saturday. And if it shifts, we then we just slide um, from there. And then um, either side of those, we can start to build out, um, you know, the recovery, so after the game, where we're doing a bit of an aftermath, talking about injuries, all those sorts of things. We'll build in a review, what do we do well, what do we really suck at, what do we have to be better at next time. Um, we know that we have teams on a Thursday. Everyone's anticipating for teams for their fantasy comps and to see who's in, so we build hype around teams. Um, and then Friday is all about our preview and getting people excited for the game, key match information which left us with this really awkward day in the middle. So we use that for entertainment, trying to get people to get to know the players, go behind the scenes, see them as people and not just athletes on the field. Um, 
And then once we have that, I know the next thing, this is like Kurtz, like porn, like a stand-up for a content team. <laughs> so we'd do a daily stand-up. And we'd, we'd know what we were doing because <sighs> it was... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever day it was, <laughs> if it was a I'm team's sorry. day, we would do it. Um, and so we'd know our topic and we'd start to go, okay, what have we got? Uh, what formats is that going to go in? Where are we going to put that out? What channels is it going on? How are we going to promote it and tell people about it? Who's responsible for it? Um, and when are we going to do it on today? Um, and we'll just roll through that routine. Um, and, you know, seems a really quick demo, but um, so many businesses can do that. You might not have the same sort of frequency that we had, um, churning out content every day, but you can break that out across a week, a month, um, a quarter, whatever it is, um, and find what are those key things and then start to build around that. That's definitely a slide I'd be taking a photo of, <laughs> if it were me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lily's like, pardon me. <coughs> <laughs> Um, I basically have the same question for you, Jess, because I feel like you're in this land as well, but across countries. <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, I'm, we tackle it in a similar way, yet differently. So we will uh, look at things on a quarterly basis at the moment um, and we're looking at moving on to a half-yearly basis as well and that's grown and developed over the time, um, over the past few years. And so we actually take a standpoint from looking at all of the different audiences and making sure everybody is getting content that they will be interested in and what is useful for them. So we not only look at specific industries, for example, electric electricians, plumbers, etc., but we also break it down into, um, is it the business owner we're talking to? Is it the scheduler that we're talking to? Is it the guy in the field, the technician doing the work? Um, anyone can come across our content and we need to make sure that when they come to Simpro or hear by word of mouth from someone and uh, someone that's worked in a previous company that they've used Simpro that that person can go onto our website and get something beneficial for them and see how Simpro can work for their business. So we look at it from that standpoint but we also incorporate our product into it. So we, uh, we work on a bi-weekly product release. So every two weeks there's something new to tell our users that is new in Simpro. So we'll have to update them um, as well as informing them of big releases. Um, so it can be as simple as some a little tiny tick box that people have been asking for for ages and finally it gets done. But we need to inform people in a really interesting, engaging way. So we're not going to write a whole blog on a tick box. Um, but we're going to incorporate it into another piece of content and make that useful for the reader to make sure that Simpro is actually listening to our users and providing them with the detail that they need. And, and the do software. you use any particular, like, I don't want to say tools, but methodologies or anything like that to, like, make sure everyone knows, no one's getting the message twice, like, those kind of things? Yeah, so we actually um, do a similar format in Excel. So we start in Excel and at the moment we're doing it by quarterly, by quarter, and then we'll actually go into um, Asana. Um, some of you might use it. And that is a key tool for us because we can manage things, we can map it out how exactly we need to um, target to make sure that we're covering all bases. And then we can also shuffle content where needed if something more urgent or a higher priority comes through the door. Um, but yeah. 
I think too, there's also a great opportunity around, I call it smart content. I don't think I've invented that, but it, you know, it works. Um, where you're actually combining data with your content. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean personalization. It could be things like location. So, you know, we'll, um, you know, in our newsletters out to members, we've got members all across the state and we've got different discounts and offers. So, um, we've got an event partnership uh, for the movies. Um, but Gold Class is only in southeast Queensland. So, there's no point telling someone in north Queensland about Gold Class when they can't go there. So, we'll tailor our content and use location to go, okay, well, in north Queensland, just promote the standard tickets. In southeast Queensland, let's up the Gold Class. And there's so many simple things that you can do that where it's actually just bringing relevance to your audience and making sure that it's right for them um, and suits their needs. Um, the thing I love the most about what everyone's saying tonight so far is that we haven't even got to comms yet. We haven't even got to like the 3% that is using channels in your marketing. Um, and that's very deliberate on my part <laughs> to get to this point, to say this is the planning that it takes to get a content strategy or even, you know, looking at enterprise content. Um, <clears throat> Architecture is correct. But um, while we're here, let's talk channels. Um, I want to know from everyone, but uh, we'll start with Ashton. Like, what's, what's your go-to methodology for, um, for choosing channels, the channels you're going to... Um, <coughs> Spend time in considering you're a startup and you don't have the resources to be everywhere. Yeah, it's a really interesting one um, with startups or with sort of any new brand uh, where you don't have benchmarks. So you really have to take the smallest indication that you already have from your, you know, early adopters and and just kind of go hard at that. So for us, you know, Google Analytics is my best friend. Um, I'm in GA. I don't know how to do a lot of things in there, but I know how to see who's coming to us from where. That's for me, like, I just need to know where are they coming from and where should I be investing our marketing budget. So, um, you know, we, we already know that organic has been a great driver in for Gather's early success uh, and social because of the food porn thing. So, you know... Beyond food porn. Beyond, beyond food porn, yeah, that's it. So, you know, for us, that, that tells me I need to capitalise on what's already working because we're a startup, we have aggressive targets, we're looking at, you know, uh, another cap raise uh, in the not-too-distant future. So it's very important for me that I deliver hard ROI against all of my marketing activity, which a lot of it is primarily content. So, but at the same time, you know, you need to test new things and you need to, you need to learn. I have a very good assumption that Pinterest could be a great channel for us because food and dinner parties and entertaining, you know, it's, it's very, it feels right. But how do I justify the, the spend and the resources pulling myself away from something I already know works into testing something that might not work. And so for me, I have approached it with an 80-20 rule. 80% of my budget is dedicated to the things that I know work and the hard ROI things and 20% is dedicated to testing, learning, brand awareness that may not produce the results right now but may unlock something for us. Yep, amazing. And um, Jared, into RACQ land where you've got so much stuff happening all the time, um, how do you, like, do you guys still evaluate channels, wipe them out, add them, things like that? Yeah, so I think when it comes to strategy, there's two approaches. There's top down and there's bottom up. So we've talked a lot about top down, so, you know, purpose and topic pil uh, topics and pillars and an audience. But there's also bottom up. So, you know, looking at your channels and, and coming up from that way. I think 
when you're coming bottom up, it's really important to understand the channel and make sure that you're not adapting your content for that channel, which seems crazy. But I guess the example I say is don't take a piece of content and then turn it into a TikTok video. Create a TikTok. Like you, you cater for the channel and create content for the channel rather than trying to adapt something for it. So I think when you're thinking about it is, you know, create those different formats specific to the channel. Don't just start with one piece and go, okay, well, let's turn that into something else and something else and something else. Um, you know, try and create along the way. We were talking before um, the panel tonight how TV is still a huge channel for RACQ and, like absolute trust driver um how does i guess uh, to an extent that question like how how does that flow down to the rest of the channels you use yeah it's so it sort of speaks volumes to our audience a lot that daytime tv is prime for us um you know we've got a, a slightly older demographic um that are rsq members but working hard on the younger ones as well and, and it's really funny like we, we launched a product a few years ago um called home rescue and it was a new product, and so we didn't put it on TV because we wanted to, you know, try and ease it in, soft launch, um, and also not go overboard with this massive big bang. You know, try and introduce it um, efficiently. Um, we had members coming into stores and calling us up and go, "Oh, someone's told me about this home rescue, but it must be a scam because I haven't seen it on TV." <laughs> and it's like, "Yeah, no, no, it's legit. It's um, yeah, new product that we've got." Um, so, yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it definitely is still a channel. I think we've seen through COVID and all the market research that was done through COVID highlighted that TV is still critical and so many people are still getting their information from TV. It's still a really trusted source. And I think part of that is because there's still some standards built around it. There's guidelines and regulations for what you can put on TV, um, whereas Facebook regulates Facebook. Um, and so I think, you know, there's no real filter um, and, you know, you see that in a lot of the challenges they're now facing. And I think it speaks volumes to a multi-channel approach. TV is the trust, content is the, you know, informative product or the informative audience stuff. Yeah, incredible stuff. Um, what about you in Deloitte land? Really like um, channel selection for clients and specifically government because, you know, you might need five layers of bureaucracy to approve a tweet. Very true, yeah, definitely. Um, so we deal with a lot of websites for government specifically, a lot of websites and a lot of big kind of hairy problems. Um, we spend a lot of time when we're working with government trying to convince them not to go onto a channel that they've they've identified. They've said, this is a really good opportunity, we need to do this. And it's a lot of, really, is it? Do you need to go on that? Like, why? Why are your, are your customers there? Let's investigate this and let's question this before we dive in and then we get more content debt, as I was saying earlier. So, um, really, because we work with so many broad organisations, there's a scattering, so I don't have, like, a one-channel approach of what I would recommend is the one, the one to go with. Um, more just to echo my fellow panellists here about just making sure it's where your customers are and you're creating content that's met, meant for the channel um, instead of just trying to shove something else on there because you think you need to. Yeah. And, um, Jess, you were saying earlier, social's not a th that big of a thing for you guys so um what are the channels that, that you guys land on and, and why like how did you get there i mean we do all the channels um well the main ones um but a lot of that is understanding what's going to work what type of content is going to work best for the audience that is using that channel 
So where's an ebook promotion going to be best utilised? Where's a blog post about product going to be best utilised? We consider that when we're putting stuff out as well. Um, but we've also started looking more at things outside of social. Um, we have just run a billboard in New Zealand and it gave us the opportunity to switch up our content. Um, we went from a very serious tone to something more fun and humorous and targeted at those people working in the field uh, to draw them in. And we paired that with radio ads as well. So a lot of the time social can be there and it's there to show it's social proof, right? So you're just putting things out to make sure you're active and to show people you're you're still trucking along. But then it's the other things that are really counting for us. Um, we will come in and people will say to our BDMs, oh, I saw you guys on the billboard and then heard you on the radio. Um, it's really the combination of it all is actually really important and then targeting the type of message to the particular audience on the particular channel. So basically multi-channel is killer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Long story yeah. short. <laughs> Long story short, multi-channel. Now, it is good to hear, right? Because, um, you know, I don't know if you cop this in um, Deloitte, but, you know, you do get clients who are like, oh, like, we need to be on Facebook. What should we do? Mm. And you need to say, well, <laughs> let's evaluate that, shall we? Yeah, mm. and go there. But all right, so now we've got to the content stuff, like the, the creating stuff. Um, Lily, I want to talk to you about how um, you guys go about creating big, complicated things and turning them into really, really easy things um, that people can digest. Absolutely. So I have a few slides that I prepared earlier. Um, uh, basically, it comes down to really simple storytelling. So a lot of what we do when we're working, we keep saying you work, Deloitte works for such big organisations, but what we do is we just lift it up to a level that removes the complication and we just talk about it like you would talk about a simple problem. So um, I'm going to share a case study um, briefly that talks about a... Unfortunately, we've got a lot of NDAs and we can't talk about a lot of what we do, but this is um, a really important one of an economic report that was developed back in 2017 between Deloitte Access Economics, Deloitte Digital and the Great Barrier Reef Foundation. So this was pre-Adani um, mine development and the purpose of developing an economic report was to put a price on the Great Barrier Reef, which ended up being $56 billion. So, um, I'll take it. <laughs> so, uh, the 92-page technical report was um, developed by Deloitte Access Economics. I'll show a video really quickly and then I'll talk through the process that we go through when we've got these um, big technical things to, to synthesise and make a um, campaign out of. We'll just uh, go through here. The largest living organism on Earth is in danger. Australia's Great Barrier Reef. More than two-thirds of the coral in Australia's Great Barrier Reef is experiencing shocking amounts of bleaching. Experts say the coral is literally cooking due to change in the ocean's temperature. Considered one of the greatest natural wonders of the world, but its health and its future are very much in doubt. We needed to secure an unprecedented investment to help save the reef. So we found a new way to get people to see the value of nature by creating a system to value it. Enlisting some of the world's top economic advisors, we valued the Great Barrier Reef to the dollar. Six months of research across 10 countries to arrive at one number. 
$56 billion. So pretty evocative figures. Um, but what that boiled down to was about a 100-page technical report with lots of figures and lots of graphs and lots of things that people um, would typically shy away from. Um, what oh, I've got my notes on there. So uh, the findings are remarkable. <laughs> How funny is that? Uh, but what put this campaign on the global agenda was the story that underpinned it and the campaign assets that were so, yes, obviously it got extremely high um, traction globally, um, some of the figures there, and also it, it garnered two Cairns Lions Awards, which is really incredible. But what it comes down to really is storytelling, as I said before, and it's really common for us to work with government organisations to translate um, uh, technically heavy information into stuff and campaigns that people can consume and understand in action. Um, so in a room full of storytellers, I'm going to talk about storytelling. But basically um, what makes a story engaging is that it's memorable, it's engaging and it's inspiring. So when we're having these conversations with clients, we talk about the arc of a story and we help them map out what's the introduction, so what's the hook, what's getting people into this story? Um, how do we set it up to a climax and then what's the resolution and what's the call to action that we want people to take from this? Um, what that actually looks like in um, uh, terms of what we do, we typically, as a content team, get delivered a, a big gnarly report. We'll read it top to bottom, pull out the key messages or the key facts that we believe are going to resonate with our audience the most. So what is going to help us build the most empathy with our audience? Uh, then we go through a, a workshop of storyboarding. So really simple, going against the, the storyboard blueprint that I put up before and we just start to map, um, yeah, what the story looks like. So what I want to take away from this is that it doesn't need to be something like the Great Barrier Reef that you're building a campaign on for it to be evocative. It could be really anything when it comes down to data and figures as long as you just go back to basic storytelling principles. It certainly helps to have the Great Barrier Reef though. <laughs> it does a thing. little bit. But I mean, once again, like looking at it, like you're talking about the same stuff. Like you started with these data points, turned it into a thing that was palatable for some and a heap of media then turned it into really great storytelling. So you've broken yep. it right down. Yeah. It's easy when you've got your notes on the slide as well. That helps. I was just, that could have gone anywhere. Some of the notes I put on slides. <laughs> like, that could have, I want to, um, we are running out of time really fast, but I just want to get to this last question before we get to our top tips and questions from you guys. Um, something that I think we need to dive into really quickly here is about the change in cookies and tracking and, and privacy. Um, if you guys don't know, then that's about to be overhauled. In fact, it already has been overhauled. If you've looked at your iPhone lately and updated it, then you've been asked to opt in to tracking across apps. Um, it's not just to iPhones. Things are going to happen across Chrome and, and all these different things. Um, it's about to become a huge challenge. What I want to know, Jared, I guess, is how is RACQ planning this cookie-less world to use the, the parlance of our time? Look, we're quite lucky. We're in a good spot. But essentially the answer is first party data. And you've seen a mad scramble for retail businesses going, holy shit, sorry to swear, but holy shit. I've relied on cookies for so long. I don't know who my customers are. We better put a loyalty program in so at least I can get some sense of who they are and have a contact detail for them. So yeah, first party data is, is going to be so important, absolutely critical. Um, we still try and collect first-party data. You know, we run a competition um, called Pet Search, aligned to our pet insurance product, where um, you know it helps us understand who actually has a pet, 
I mean, we know who has a car, who has a home because of the products that we have, but knowing who actually got a, has a pet is really hard. And I don't really want to blast 1.8 million members all with pet insurance content um, or ads. So running this comp, we can then overlay that with our data and go, hey, these, these members actually have pets and are going to be interested in this content and potentially interested in this product. So if you're not in first-party data, get in there as quick as you can. Ashton, you're in tech. You'd rely on pixels and tracking and things like that. What's the plan at Gather? Well, we did. <laughs> um, the plan is, yeah, we, we really need to uh, focus on on owning owning the information and first party data. So, um, you know, anything remarketing's completely changed. It's it's really about. It's really just about. I don't want to say owning your customers. That sounds really really bad, but you know, in a really nice way. And the way to do that, I think, is by giving them content and giving them a product and service that they are willing to exchange their data for. I think that's the most important thing is here we are creating something for you, of value for you. We know that because of your mindset and because of everything else, all of the data points have told us this is what you want and this is what you love. And they say, yes, that is correct, Gather. Thank you so much. Please have my very, very valuable first-person data so you can continue to talk to me. So I think um, that's the way forward. Yeah, and very quickly, somewhere strong to store it, CRM technology, somewhere great. Oh, massive responsibility on businesses around data ethics and uh, making sure that you're not only storing it, but also then using it responsibly. And I think that's where the data ethic comes in. And just because you have it doesn't mean you have to show it off. So I think you know using it responsibly is super important. Amazing. All right, we are out of time, but we've got time for questions. So um, do we have a microphone in the crowd somewhere? Yep, coming, coming. Uh, hands up, don't be shy. We're at lefties. There are bras on the wall. In the booth, up the back. Just uh, stand up and say who you are, where you're from. Hello, thank you. Makili Macon from Something Digital. Join us at the October Something Digital Festival. <laughs> like that. Amazing. That was quick. That was great, great content. Thank you. I know. Um, my question's actually got nothing to do with my current role, but it's got me thinking a lot about a brand I once worked on, which was a defensive driving organisation which basically is asking you to give over $400 and two days of your time, usually on the weekend, for them to show you how shit of a driver you are. <laughs> how do you write content that people don't want to hear? Oh, my God, I have so many ideas. <laughs> I mean, inherently, I love what you just said. It's like people... Like, nobody likes to think they're a bad driver, right? Everyone's like, everyone's a bad driver except for me. That's pretty much everyone on the road, right? So I would lean so heavily into that. It's like, you think you're a good driver? Let's find out. You know, common mistakes that people make. Um, case studies, you know, defensive. someone who's taken a defensive driving course and then they've had to use it in real life and they've gone, Jesus, I don't know if I would have been able to get myself out of that situation if it wasn't for this. But, um, you, you know, you'll always see those news articles that do the rounds that's like, you know, you think you know the road rules, you know, do you know the answer to this one that's on every learner's test that you've forgotten about? People, people love that stuff because they like to think that they know something and then they're challenged when they don't. But I think that's a really good thing because it would position that brand and that product in a, oh, well, I don't really know 
as much of a road as I thought I could. Exactly. It's, yeah, you know, it's like, are you a terrible driver? Come on in. Motoring organisation, I should probably comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) I would say there's there's so much power in utility when it comes to content. Um, Some of our most popular content are road rule quizzes on Facebook. They go nuts. And it's actually hilarious watching people debate against each other before the answer's revealed. And, like, sometimes we've got to step in because they go to town. Like, people are passionate about their driving knowledge. Um, But, again, I'd be tapping into the utility, um, you know, tap into the challenge and, again, test their skills. Um, But I think, you know, when you look at utility, Bunnings, awesome example. Like, they own how-tos around your home. Um, Even an example I use um, in my teaching is a funeral home that actually has an article that says what to do when someone dies. Shit, I don't know what to do. Like, it's a horrible thing to think about. But but when you're in the situation, it's like, holy shit, that would be really useful. Um, But there's so many things um, that you can tap into around that utility. All good? Cool. Any other questions? Hands up. Yes, down the front. Yeah. <laughs> Do I have to stand up? No, we're good. Yep. Yep. Just uh, who you yeah, are, yeah. where you're from. Um, Gabby Woodbridge. I'm from SAP. So I'm from a pretty large B2B tech organisation. Um, and I deal a lot with, I guess, uh, bringing life into the brand and therefore the content and particularly getting us out of product speak. So what I find really interesting, I love all your thoughts on, is how B2C and B2B brand content is converging. So um, an initiative we've piloted in ANZ uh, and has been won awards and stuff is essentially kind of a Netflix for business. So we ended up having entertainment as a channel for business-to-business stuff rather than the usual kind of software product feature stuff. So I'd really love to see or hear from you guys on how you think those two worlds are converging. Jess? Um, I think that's great what you're doing. That's awesome. Um, I guess what we're doing in Simpro is we're actually going through a bit of a transformation ourselves. We've been really heavily in the past focused on just our general marketing and getting our messaging out there, but we're trying to have a bit more fun with it now. So we're actually evolving into that. How do we talk to our prospects and customers in a more fun, engaging way? Simpro is a huge software. There is so much to know about it. Um, The people that know the most are the people, honestly, that have been at the company the longest and the customers that do every single learning toolbox uh, that they can. So I think as we move into this new era um, of conversations with our customers, we're really trying to lighten our brand and, as you said, get out of that product focus but that's changing the thought process behind it because you can so easily delve into this is our software this is what we do but we need to swap it to what are our customers what are our prospects getting from this software and you know what can come to mind is marketing speak so efficiency profitability but then again how do we change that into something that you know, trade business owners or trade field workers will connect with, you know, is their business just turning, is it chaos at the moment and they want clarity, you know, turn chaos into clarity with Simpro. 
that sort of vibe. Um, you've got to really step it down a level and then step it down a level and then finally, finally you'll get the niche. But it comes with a lot of workshopping and brainstorming. I, I love that convergence of B2B and B2C. Like it's, like it's actually silly that we thought about it any other way in the past. But um, just quickly, and this will be the last one, uh, Lily, Deloitte, you guys deal with government speak and all those kind of things. How do you go about doing that for those clients if you do that? <laughs> If you can. It's probably less about marketing channels for us and advertising and more about exactly what you're saying, lightening uh, legalese and governance speak. And some of the girls that I work with in the crowd tonight are probably <laughs> living and breathing it at the moment. But, um, yeah, how we how we take it up a level. Um, we do a lot of content testing, as I said before, and the way that we get our um, organisations to realise that people don't understand what's written on there is just by doing testing and getting feedback and using data to say, hey, this is a really big problem people don't understand what this means. We need to just put it in layman's term and, and terms and, and dumb it down as much as we can. Um, we do a lot of prototyping of content. So what does that mean? It's like we just whip up a couple of examples and then test it and then track the change. Um, and then we do our content principles around it. We do our pillars and, and then we just frame it around Everybody wants to be able to understand what's written on government websites. <laughs> um, let's make it that way. Yeah, Netflix for SAP, I love it. And super quick. Like, yeah. SAP are actually a great example of the convergence. SAP, so sorry. I got to meet, I'm horrible, I can't remember her name, but it's a lady in the US that's responsible for your influencers and your influencer strategy. Oh, um, yeah. uh, Ursula. And then people go, well, hang on. B2B, like a big tech company, why the hell are they doing influencers? Because everyone thinks influencers is a bikini-clad model on Instagram, but it's totally not. And I think SAP is setting that in that they've worked out what B2C have realised for a long time, that there's actually a person at the business that's making the decision. And so let's target that person. Let's understand that person. And I think, for me, that's where that convergence is coming around the audience. Sorry to hijack this, but I've also got another interesting point, which you'll love, is fun pop quiz. <laughs> is, um, I had an argument, ironically, with my brother because he's global head of marketing for Smirnoff. So he's one of the biggest B2C marketers out there and he's always giving me shit about how boring my job is <laughs> um, when, you know, the company I work for is five times the size, if not more, of Diageo. So it's, it's really interesting to have those debates and I think you completely hit the nail on the head is like... The consistent thing across all of us is like it's customer value really at the end of the day and if you don't start with that, you're going to fail. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I love it. Um, all right, we are out of time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we could go on all night. In fact, sorry. let's. Next question. No. Okay, so we're up to top tips. I hope Content Evolved tonight has been about stripping away the idea that we're going to jump straight to that tactic, straight to that Facebook post, straight to that thing. I hope it's come through that we're really focusing on strategy up front before we dive in. What are your guys' top tips? Ashton. My top tip is progress over perfection. This is a very hard, hard lesson for a perfectionist to learn. Hello, self-raising of hand. Uh, especially in startup world, uh, you, you have a lot more freedom and flexibility to do this. Uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of people uh, on my, my fellow panellists and in the crowd t uh, today who do not have, you know, the, the luxury of this. If you have very strict brand guidelines, uh, a lot of red tape, government especially, you, you can't just kind of get out there and do stuff and try stuff and, and everything. But if you do have the freedom and flexibility, 
just produce content. Just start getting it out there and be okay that, you know, oh, it's it's maybe not as, as, you know, good as it could be or is it two pixels too far to the left or is my logo better in the top right or the bottom right? I'm not sure. So just, you know, just just get out there and get over your ego and, and start publishing because you need to be in the game and we are all hungry content consumers. you got to be out there producing. Jared. It's a typo. Oh, sorry, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I, I honestly, then when you said yeah. that, I was like, ooh! <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm so kidding. Cool. That is so cruel. <laughs> <That's pathetic>. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my top tip, well, I've kind of covered my top tip, but it's um, it's actually doing the strategy. And, you know, there's, there's a famous um, Sun Tzu quote that talks about... Um, Tactics without strategy is the quickest way to lose. And so for me with content, um, doing tactics without strategy is the quickest way to end up producing cat videos, regardless of your brand. Um, so this might be one to snapshot as well. It's, it's, you know, it just helps give you a bit of a structure and sort of the areas that you need to make show, sure that you've addressed. Um, and we've talked about them you know, around role or, or strategic intent or content vision to use the, the consulting term. Um, you know, understanding what types you're doing, like is this hero content that I sort of do once off um, or is this hub content that I might want to group together on a specific topic or maybe it's hygiene in that my audience just needs to know this because that's what they're searching for on Google so I need to meet them and have that content for them. Working out your content pillars which gives you that structure um, and make sure that you stay aligned to it and then you start to get into format and voice and channels and things like that. So make sure you're going through the steps, do the work up front, um, it's going to help you down the track. I'm um, right there with Jared. It's all about strategy for us and setting a strategic intent, as I've said about 45 million times tonight, is the most important thing that we do for our clients. Um, so you can work at speed, so you can just produce and get on with it without worrying about whether or not the cat video suits. Having a strategic intent that your organisation agrees on so that you have sort of peace of mind that people are doing the right thing with what they're publishing across your organisation. The second thing is to Marie Kondo, your content cut the fat, get rid of the things that aren't bringing you joy. Um, it's probably not bringing your, your customers joy either. And then start to get an experimentation list of things that you want to do and things that you want to try. Don't try to tackle it all at once. Prioritise a list and start biting it off incrementally so that you can, yeah, win at content. Awesome. And Jess? Uh, just in case you haven't um, gathered... I too like a plan. <laughs> um, so develop a plan and make sure you're speaking to your audience. Get data from anywhere that you can. Get pain points. Um, get information directly for, from your customers or prospects and build a plan around that. Um, incorporate the strategic business goals as well, but meld them in a way that you can speak to your audiences as well as hitting those goals um, because everything you produce should have the audience as the key reason. Ashton, Jared, Lily, Jess, thank you so much for being on the panel. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. We'll be back again soon.